My name is Tom Lemler. I'm director of Impact Prayer Ministry, as well as the maintenance director here at Deer Run. And uh, before I begin the message, I want to just bring you a brief update on Impact Prayer Ministry. Uh, some of you may have noticed some photos and stuff in the back. Uh, it, it's one of these projects that Mary Jane and I have been doing uh, to help with the prayer ministry, but also to help people see the incredible goodness of God. And uh, out of our appreciation for the partnership that we have with Deer Run, uh, we're making those available, and if you would like one of those photos or a photo calendar, uh, you're definitely welcome to take that with you uh, as our gift to you. Um, there is a bowl there if, if God convicts you and challenges you to uh, contribute to Impact Prayer Ministry, you're welcome to do that, but please don't feel that you have to. Uh, that, that really is a gift, and so if there's something there that you'll use uh, in, in your home to decorate with or whatever, uh, please do that. Over the past year, God has enabled uh, me to write and publish two additional devotional books. Um, last year ended with the uh, completion of a book that uh, I was able to write for the International Disaster Emergency Service, and uh, this past spring... I was able to travel with AIDS uh, into Florida to help distribute. I, uh, we were able to provide 1,000 copies of that book to AIDS, and I was uh, privileged to be able to go with them and help distribute the first of those copies to hurricane relief victims. And it's a book about finding hope in the midst of chaos. And it was very well received and, and an incredible uh, thing that God has allowed us to do. Uh, over the past year, uh, we were able to put uh, somewhere around 3,000 copies of these prayer-based devotionals into the hands of people um, that would use them to grow in their connection with God. The weekly prayer guides that are in your bulletin uh, have gone out around the world and are used uh, just around the world every week uh, to help people in their pursuit of God. And all because of this partnership uh, that I have with, with Deer Run, with individuals here, with other churches and individuals outside of Deer Run as well. And so I just wanted to take a small amount of time here and say thank you for being a part of what God is doing, not just here at Deer Run and in this community, but around the world through that partnership. As I think about this message, I really could have continued the series that David and CJ were doing and simply called this generosity in prayer, but generosity was a pretty long word, and, and for those that are familiar with my preaching style, you'd probably think, oh, can you find a shorter word? Um, and so, if you use social media much, you've probably seen a lot of this hashtag something strong. And sometimes it's a person's name, and that person may be uh, suffering with cancer or going into surgery or been involved in an auto accident or, or some type of incident where they're in need of a community to gather around them with a strength that they need help with. Sometimes it's a cause for the same reason, that it, it needs people to surround it uh, in order to gain traction, in order to uh, gain momentum in making their cause known and being productive in what they hope to accomplish. And so as I thought about that, I began to develop this hashtag PrayStrong2020. Obviously, it's still 2019, but we can start a few days early. But it's a focus that I want to carry through with Impact Prayer Ministry through the beginning of next year. It's also the focus for a New Year's Eve prayer time that we'll be having here at the building 
uh, all day uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, you can come and you can pray. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet out in the Welcome Center. You can sign up for an hour, and there'll be resources available. And as a matter of fact, the banners up here will be six different stations that will be set up in the building that day uh, that you can spend time at each one praying uh, about those specifically. And those also are the, the, the points of the sermon this morning, so you'll kind of get a head start. Uh, but I, I, as I thought about it, I said, what does it mean to pray strong? I think sometimes in our culture, when we think of something being strong, we, we think of momentum, we think of loudness, we think of numbers, we think of something that can beat everything else. And yet when it comes to prayer, I believe that if we want to learn to pray strong, we have to step back and reevaluate what that looks like. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, God's angel, a messenger of God, comes and he tells Zerubbabel that it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And so many times we want to do things by our might or our power, and we weave prayer into it because that's what Christians do, but yet in the midst of it, it's still, we have to do it. And I believe that if we want to learn to pray strong, we have to move beyond the mindset that it's all up to me and to realize it's by God's Spirit. I love the passage in Ephesians, the what we typically refer to as the armor of God passage, because as we often focus on those elements of this armor, we sometimes overlook the fact that this armor of God is sandwiched in prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Kind of sounds similar to the Zechariah passage where God is talking about the spirit and power and where that really comes from. But by the time you get to the end of this armor of God passage, verse 18 actually says, And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You see, God has given us his armor, but he's given us prayer as this communication with our commander-in-chief. If we were to join the military or go into battle, it's good to have armor. It's good to be protected. It's good to have the resources to do battle with. But if everybody that joined the military was fully armored and had full resources that they needed, but had no command structure, they were out fighting on their own, they were doing whatever it is they wanted, I'm guessing that uh, army would not be very victorious very often. And I believe that's why God includes prayer in this armor of God. He says, you're protected. You have the equipment you need. You have everything, but you must listen to what it is you're supposed to do with it. So this morning, we're going to take a quick look at these six letters of strong. And we're going to look at six different things that I believe are imperative if we want to learn to pray strong every day that we live. I believe prayer isn't something we simply do when we gather together. It isn't something we simply do before a meal. It isn't something we do simply when we're in trouble. But it ought to be something that we do as a lifestyle, just as, as easily as breathing. 
And so we're going to begin over here, and, and uh, this way you get a visual as well as my words. But the first point is, is we pray strong, we pray submissively. So many times we think that our prayers are offered to God and He ought to do something because, well, we've demanded it. And not only have we demanded it, but we've gathered together a large group of people that agree with us. And it's almost as if we get enough people to pray the same thing, then God's obliged to answer it favorably. And yet even Jesus, as he prayed in the garden, he gave us that model prayer. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said the similar thing as he got to the end of his ministry, as he prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. So many times we look at what we want and we think, well, if I just pray hard enough, if I, if I just seek God, yet how many times is God saying, step back and ask me what I want? James uses the prophet Elijah as a model of prayer. And so many times we, we, we hear that and we look at that and, and if you go and read the life of Elijah, it was not an easy life. It was not a life where he had everything he wanted. As a matter of fact, there were times he was so discouraged and de depressed that he asked God to just take his life, that it wasn't even worth living anymore. And God would come alongside him and, and show him that it was indeed worth living and that it had purpose. And I think sometimes that contrast in praying strong by the world's definition and by God's definition is, is easiest seen in the prayers on Mount Carmel as the prophets of Baal gather and as Elijah gathers. You see, the prophets of Baal think they have strength in numbers. There's 450 of them all calling out to their God. We, we've got this contest won easily. Elijah's all by himself. And yet we find as we read that story at the very beginning of 1 Kings chapter 18 that Elijah was actually praying submissively. He wasn't praying according to his will. The, the chapter 18 begins and says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So many times it's, it's so easy to line up our prayers according to what we want instead of going to God and say, What do you want? And when we begin to pray submissively, we begin to pray according to the will of God. And the only way we find the will of God is, is through Scripture and by spending time with Him in Scripture. But not only do we pray strong as we pray submissively, we pray strong as we pray truthfully. In Luke chapter 18, verse 13, we have, uh, in, in, in that chapter, we have this picture of two people coming to pray. And I love the, the line, it says, one of them came and prayed thus to himself. I believe that's the King James Version, as I memorized it back in the old days. Um, but the other one would not even look up to heaven, Scripture says. But he beat his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so many times as we go to God, we, we kind of cover up who we really are. And God says if we want to pray strong, we have to pray truthfully. And praying truthfully says we're open before God. He already knows it. 
God knew this man was a sinner that was, was beating his breast and crying out to God, just as he knew the publican who thought he was of good reputation was a sinner. You see, as we pray truthfully, we're talking to God honestly about who we are. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus asked, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do good deeds? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all of these things? And he'll say, why do you call me Lord and, and not do the things that I say? You see, when, when we're praying truthfully, we're not only speaking and calling God our Savior, our Master, our God, but if we're truthful, we're actually doing the things that he's called us to do. See, when we pray strong, we're honest. Is that phrase, honest to God. We, we, the world likes to throw that in to kind of give credence to what we're saying. But how many times do we even use that phrase when we know we're not really honest? You see, praying strong says, God, I'm a sinner. I need you to instruct me. I need you to change me. I need you to transform me. I need you to guide me into how to do this conversation well. And so as we pray strong, we pray submissively. We pray truthfully, but we also pray repentantly. You see, it doesn't do a lot of good to pray truthfully if we're not willing to change. Sometimes we, we get a certain way, we do things a certain way, we, we offend people, and we just say, yeah, I did that, that's just who I am. Well, that really doesn't do a lot to mend and build that relationship. Even though we're truthful, if we're not willing to change. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. If you want to ask and question whether repentance, whether change is really a big deal, uh, God says it is. God says it's necessary that we repent, we change, we turn around. In Psalm chapter 51 uh, the psalmist writes and says, a broken and contrite spirit, God will not reject. This idea is we pray strong, we, we pray repentantly. We recognize the things in our life that are wrong. We recognize the times that we pray, not submissively, but selfishly. And we not only recognize them, we say, God, change me. Remind me, bring somebody alongside of me to, to kind of nudge me in the side and say, that's, that's not the direction you ought to be heading. I think one of the hardest things for me, and I think for many Americans, is this idea of changing. I was kind of laughing about it, different ones, and noticed the platform was gone, and, and things were just a little bit different up here. And while that may be a little bit uncomfortable for some of you, uh, it is incredibly uncomfortable for me because I have no edge here to keep my toes on to kind of distract. For those that may remember, when we used to preach from the platform, I'd, I'd stand there with my toes hanging over the edge just... Uh, 
um, because it kept my mind off the uh, anxiety of standing in front of people and talking. And so not having the little platform is a big deal to me. But I wanted to provide this visual, and in order to do that, I had to change. So many times we allow sin in our life, and we don't call it sin because we know sin is bad. But God would call it sin. But we like it. it it's what we would say. It's not that bad. And we forget that it's sin that separates us from God. It's sin that keeps us from being able to pray strong as we ought to because we've not yet prayed repentantly. We've not turned away from it. And so even the stuff that we say isn't that bad still puts this barrier in our prayer life and in our conversation with God. So as we pray strong, we pray submissively, we pray truthfully, we pray repentantly, but we also pray observantly. As Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says in John 4, verse 35, he says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. It's great to have a prayer list. And for some of us that our memory keeps fading, it's even a better thing to have a prayer list that I can look at every day and, and be reminded that I, I really have committed to praying for these people. And I really need to pray for these people. And this is what's going on over here, and, and they need someone to lift them up and encourage them. But just as important as that list is the ability to open my eyes and look around me and pray for those things that nobody's saying. To pray observantly, to look into the fields and see where the needs are. One of the reasons that I love walking, and what I, my favorite is walking out in nature because I just, it, to me it's just time with God. But whether I'm traveling for impact, prayer ministry, doing a conference or something in a big city, even then I'll get out and walk. And while the, the surroundings isn't the same as going down to the river walk or to Potato Creek State Park or wherever, my eyes give me many things to pray about if I pray observantly. You can go walk downtown South Bend. And if you don't find something to pray about, you probably need to pray more ardently and urgently that God would open your eyes. You can walk your neighborhood. And we've done that as a group here at times. And if you pray with open eyes, if you pray observantly, you'll find that there's many things that nobody's written down on a list that you can pray about and that you ought to pray about. You see, when we pray observantly, we're asking God to open our eyes. I find it fascinating, the wording, in, as Jesus is praying in the garden, he asks his disciples to, to pray. And he goes off by himself, and, and we, we know that scene. But when he comes back and he finds the disciples sleeping, at least in the King James Version, he doesn't ask them, could you not pray? No, he says, could you not keep watch for an hour? Now, did you catch that? He asked them to wait here and pray. And when he comes back, he says, could you not keep watch? 
Could you not pray observantly? Could you not pay attention to what's going on around you as you talk to my father? See, when we pray strong, we open our eyes and we allow God to use everything around us as prompts on how we ought to pray. We can look at a person and and sometimes most of us, a lot of us are really good at putting on masks when we're out in public. So that's why one of the fun things when I've traveled in Topeka, when I fly, is sitting in an airport. And I know some people just hate layovers. You know, if they want to go somewhere, they want a flight that leaves from here and direct to wherever. And if I have to stop somewhere in between, I want it as, as short of a time as possible. I always schedule the longer time. Because I can sit and watch people who aren't expecting to be watched. And you can see joy, you can see sadness, you can see burdens, you can see a lot of things when people aren't expecting that somebody's watching them. And those are great ways to pray as you watch those that aren't putting on the mask for a show. So we pray strong when we pray submissively. We pray strong when we pray truthfully. We pray strong when we pray repentantly. We pray strong when we pray observantly. But we also pray strong when we pray pray noticeably. And if you're like me, when I first began to think of that, I said, well, that's not right. Doesn't God say when you pray, you should go into your closet and close the door and pray to your Father in secret who rewards you in secret? Well, yeah, Scripture does say that. But I think there's a difference between what I would call praying noticeably and praying to be noticed. You see, in in Matthew, Jesus says to let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Well, there's a lot of things that we can do that people can look at us and see that we're doing it for God. And I believe prayer is one of those. As a matter of fact, it was the prayer life of Jesus that was noticeable enough that his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, if he had followed to the letter the instructions that you, if you pray, go into your closet and pray in secret so that nobody sees you, why would they even ask him to teach them how to pray? But it was immediately after he had prayed that they asked him because his prayer life was noticeably different than the prayer life of the Pharisees. His, his prayer life was noticeably different than the prayer life of anyone else that they had ever met. He wasn't praying to be noticed, but he was praying in such a way that people took notice. And I think when we begin to pray in such a way, when we begin to pray strong, people notice that there's something different. Or they may not notice our words, they may not notice our posture, they may not notice what it is about our prayer life, they just notice there's something between you and God that I don't have. And so that's what I mean when I say to pray noticeably. Uh, How does my time with God change me in such a way that people say, wow, I want that? It's one of those things that, for me, it's kind of a little bit awkward on how to respond, but... Frequently, I get people that will say, I just love to hear you pray at the end of a service. 
And it's like, well, I mean, I'm just talking to God. I'm glad that it ministers to you. But I don't do that so that people notice me. I do that in conversation with God. And that was the problem in the earlier story I talked about with the publican and the, the quote, sinner. The one came to be noticed. He, he stood up before everybody. He prayed, again, thus to himself, but he wanted people to think he was praying to God. He wanted people to say, look, look at him. Isn't he something? But did you realize that both he and the one who would not even look up to heaven yet beat his breast and ask for mercy were both noticed? You see, whether we like it or not, people watch us. And sometimes it's because they're praying observantly and sometimes it's just because they're nosy, but it really doesn't matter if we're doing the right thing. It really doesn't matter why they're watching if what we're doing is being done in such a way that they see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. You see, it isn't the form, it's the heart behind it. And our heart behind it ought to be such that Jesus is always lifted up and glorified. So as we continue this progression, as we learn to pray strong, we pray submissively, we pray truthfully, we pray repentantly, we pray observantly, we pray noticeably, but we also pray globally. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Now obviously, I think, to me it's obvious, one element of praying globally is praying for those involved in world missions. To ask God how we can partner with them, how we can help spread the gospel to all nations. But I think there's a closer-to-home idea of praying globally, and that's praying for those who are different than what I am. They may live next door, but they're not exactly like me. They may be a different race. They may be a, a different uh, economic bracket. They may be a different age. They may be a different whatever. But so many times it's easy to pray for people like me because that's who I'm comfortable with. But when I begin to pray globally, I begin to pray for those who may not quite be like what I am. I remember some time ago I was doing a seminar, I was at a church and was asking about what, what things are you praying about? And I'm still not sure if they were serious or if they were just pulling my chain or whatever, but they said, we're, we're really struggling financially, and so we've been praying that God would send more wealthy people to our congregation. I think, okay, that sounds maybe a little bit selfish so that you don't have to step up and be the good stewards God has called you to be. 
But is that praying globally? Or is that just praying about who you want? Is that just praying about who you think would fit in? You see, when we pray globally, we're telling God that the harvest field is everywhere. The fields are ripened to harvest, not, in, not only in Zimbabwe, but also in downtown South Bend. When we pray globally, we're telling God, I'm available to be who you want me to be to the world, even if the world is next door. I think so many times when we think of that, and, and in my life and in history and the churches that, that I've been a part of, the big challenge is always the world overseas. You know, what, what, what would happen if God would challenge and convict you to go to a foreign country and to preach the gospel? That is a fair question. But sometimes getting lost in that is what would happen if you were simply to obey God's command from Matthew 28 that as you go, wherever you go, that you preach the gospel. You share the good news of Jesus. I know sometimes in the text there, the word preach kind of gets us a little on edge. And I've been in places where um, they've kind of taken that literally and they'll stand up on a street corner and, 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 and preach hellfire and damnation and it really doesn't seem to be very effective. But the wording is actually, wherever you go, tell people about the good news of Jesus. And you do that globally, whether you're talking to your neighbor or whether you're traveling to the other side of the world. And when you pray strong, you begin to pray globally in such a manner that God says, you, you, you tell, ask God to give you a heart for people. I, I don't believe we're ever going to tell someone about Jesus in a meaningful way until God changes our heart to have a love for them that he has for them. Because until our heart changes and we love people, we really don't care what happens to them. And I know that's a tough thing to say in church because it just sounds so wrong, because it is so wrong. But it's truth. We don't talk to our neighbors. We don't talk to the people that God connects us with about Jesus because we're afraid. What if they don't want to hear it? What if they make fun of me? What if they reject it? But also because I don't know them. I don't really care what happens to them. And when we begin to pray strong, when we begin to pray globally, we say, God, I do care. Because without Jesus, they're completely lost. When Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me, he meant it. But what that means is, unless someone tells them, unless someone shows them, unless someone lives Jesus in front of them, they may never hear it. And so this morning, as we begin this focus on praying strong. 
I have to ask each one of you. What does God want you to do? I believe every time that God's word is shared that there's a conviction of his spirit for every person that hears it. And sometimes that conviction of his spirit is simply an encouragement to say, keep at it. Good and faithful servant. Sometimes the conviction of that spirit is to say, keep at it, but then grow. And perhaps this morning, one of these six areas is something that God has been tugging in your heart and says, I need to be stronger in my prayer life in that area. It might be all six of them. Perhaps there's been times through it that, that God has brought somebody into your mind that you, you need to be more deliberate about praying for and to being Jesus too. You see, as, I, as we begin to approach a new year, it began to run through my mind, what would happen if just a few people would pray strong? You see, the 450 prophets of Baal, they, they had the numbers. They got loud. They would get really bizarre and even cut themselves, hoping that their flow of blood would somehow attract the attention of their God. They did wild and crazy things. But at the end, it was one man was willing to pray strong who simply knelt before God and said Lord answer my prayer so that the people will know that you are God what would happen if multiple people would take on that heart They would pray submissively. They would pray truthfully. They would pray repentantly. They would pray observantly. They would pray noticeably. And they would pray globally with that one goal in mind. Lord, answer my prayer so that the people would know that you are God. Perhaps that person is you. I'm guessing most people that gather at a church service today is like any other Sunday. You've already in a relationship with Jesus, growing at some level of that. But if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the starting point of being able to pray strong. And we would love to be able to talk to you about that, how to make him Lord in your life, how to have your sins washed away. But for many of us, the question this morning is, what will I do with what God has been saying to me? Father, I thank you that you are a God that desires us to be in conversation with you. That we can pray strong, not by our might or by our power, but by your spirit. And so, Father, as we come to you throughout our life, may we always give heed to your spirit to guide us. Your word tells us that your spirit intercedes, that your spirit interprets for us when we don't even know what to say. And so that is my prayer, Father, for each one of us.
Help us to go from this place later today better equipped to pray strong, to be that prayer warrior that you've created and called us to be. Father, may we lift up Jesus before whoever we cross paths with, that they would know that you indeed are God. It's in his name that I pray.